Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology with me, Tiasha Zaitz. The European health data space is supposed to be implemented in a bit more than two years, by 2025. Two goals are at the forefront. To create the infrastructure for a European health data pool for researchers and innovators, and secondly, to enable patients to pick up their medications outside of their home country and give doctors across Europe access to patient information if one seeks medical care abroad in Europe. On November 18th, EIT Health Germany Switzerland and EIT Health Spain organized a joint symposium titled Right to Privacy versus Duty to Protect Lives Health Data Management in Focus. Speakers discussed the patient's perspective on health data use and the European health data space, balancing health data privacy and AI development, ongoing approaches for data solutions, and more. I managed to speak with Nick Schneider, head of Division 511 on new technologies and data use at the German Federal Ministry of Health, who talked about where is the European health data space at the moment, will it be implemented by 2025, what are still the biggest open questions, and how is Germany advancing with its digital transformation in healthcare. Enjoy the show, and if you haven't yet, do leave a rating or a review wherever you got your podcast. If you want to be informed about the topics that we cover on a monthly basis, find the link to our monthly newsletter in the show notes and see what we've reported about so far and get updated even if you're not a regular listener of the show. This episode is supported by EIT Health Germany Switzerland, which is one of the eight knowledge and innovation communities currently funded by the European Institute of Innovation and Technology. EIT Health Germany, Switzerland, connects 150 renowned partners from industry, research and education from Germany, Austria and Switzerland. Find out more by going to eit-health.de, that's eit-health.de, where you will find more about innovation, acceleration and education programs. Now let's dive into today's discussion. Nick, thank you for joining this discussion about the European health data space and progress that's going to be made in Europe. You are the head of Division 511 or 511 on new technologies and data use at the German Federal Ministry of Health. Maybe just for a light start, can you tell us what does 511 stand for? 511 is actually the first division in Department 5. That's why we are 511. Some, sometimes we are called the coordination unit or the head unit. In principle, what's relevant to us is that we are in charge of all issues relating to new technologies in healthcare and making health data accessible for different purposes, mainly for research purposes. So in German, I would actually say our 
task or our vision is Menschen schützen Daten nutzen, which stands for to protect people and use data, which also shows that our actions are and should always be patient and citizen-centric. We have to make sure that it's all about the persons and not the data. Mm -hmm. So we put the citizen in the center of all our work. And to us, it's really the ethical use of health data has to be to the benefit of the patient and citizens at large. And ethically, not using health data can be as detrimental as the misuse of health data. And that's something which we in the public discourse always try to put in front. And it's not about just bringing new technologies into healthcare as a means to its end, but to use new technologies to improve healthcare, to improve research and to improve innovation in Europe. To which extent do you see that debate is evolving? Because on the one hand, we have the desire to be competitive when it comes to AI development in Europe. On the second hand, we have GDPR and warnings that because of it, basically innovators or researchers can't access data well, and that makes us basically uncompetitive. And there's a discrepancy between the funding and ideas that goes into AI startups and what they can actually do after they start developing their solutions. Personally, I think it, communication is going to be key here. You're totally right. We at the moment are in the middle or in the beginning of a larger European debate on what kind of AI we actually want in healthcare. And I think we had a partly this discussion already during the AI Act on political level that we actually saw which kind of AI uses we don't want to see in Europe. And I think we are in the middle of a systemic competition on global level. And I think having an ethical values-based system in Europe, I think that's mainly the biggest advantage we have as European member states, that we share a common set of values. And I think to us it's going to be important to put that on the table and offer probably a third way between a very commercial-focused approach, as we see in, in, in the U.S., that we see with the big platforms at the moment, or a very state-centric authoritarian system like we see in, in parts of Eastern Asia or in China. So for us, really having this debate is extremely important. Just as an example, what we are doing on national, local level, we're currently funding 38 large AI projects to bring AI into healthcare and test if it's working there. And it's not basic science, it's really using very simple examples. Just to, to, to tell you one, there's some plasters for anti-cubitus to see if a patient has been laying too long on one side before the patient gets cubitus or gets a wound there. The AI would actually signal to the caretaker, well, it's time to turn this patient. And this way I can learn. And instead of having expensive beds to do that, we can use simple sensors. We're testing that right now in, on, in hospital wards. We are probably going to test it also in intensive care units. Another one is the use of natural language processing for documentation in the shock room. So if you have a polytraumatized patient coming in and you have many doctors treating the patient in the shock room, talking, exchanging what they see, but often forgetting parts of it when it comes to documentation. So the whole documentation is being done in the background using AI, and then the doctors themselves can control it, verify it, and a lot of treatments have already been called for, and the documentation has already been done by the AI in the background. I think those are very practical examples we're right now testing in real settings to see if it works and if that, that can improve healthcare on local level. So it's not really often rocket science. We always think of AI being something like rocket science. To us, it's really having 
bringing practical tools to patients and to doctors or to nurses to improve the healthcare and actually facilitate the work and give them more time to treat their patients. I guess there's this perception, perhaps, that when we talk about data sharing and using that data for, from the industry side, that basically somebody is going to come in, mine all the data that's already in the electronic healthcare records and make large profits with that. Maybe we can continue with there. So how would you characterize the state of digitalization of data in Germany and across Europe and this idea of the um, European health data space, which also aims to create a data pool for researchers and innovators to develop their own solutions. How realistic is that even? Okay, maybe to start with your first statement, the risk of patients having their data mined from the electronic health records. I think some misconception we have to clarify is that If you're talking about the AI used in healthcare, the algorithm doesn't care if the data comes from Charles Zeitz or from Nick Schneider or from Angela Merkel. It's about training an algorithm and to get the most applicable and best results for the individual patient or citizen. So I think that's something which we have to be very clear. It's not about profiling here. It's about using the data to train an algorithm to get better suggestions in the healthcare setting. For that, we will need large-scale data sets on European level, which are well curated. Because there's always a sentiment, garbage in, garbage out. So if you don't have good data sets, we don't, we will not get good AI. And currently, a lot of companies, including the healthcare sector, are training their data outside of Europe. Why? Because we often don't have the data sets. If we have them, they are too small. They're not well curated. Our regulatory framework is too heterogeneous in Europe. So even a country like Germany, which 80, with 80 million inhabitants might actually be too big to fail, it will also be too small to thrive. So what we actually need is to offer European data sets for training, but also for evaluation and for testing purposes to ensure that actually the algorithms being applied to our population in Europe are actually applicable to our population and are not biased. And I think for this also an ethical imperative to provide access to that data. And of course, we have to take care of data protection, we have to take care of all the, the regulatory framework there. And then we have to be very clear with, if there is an abuse or a misuse of data, that we have a sanction regime in place to actually make sure that nobody uses it. So just as an example, um, we are now building a health data lab for all the claims data from statutory insured people in Germany. So we have the data of 73 million people in that data set at the beer farm. So what we did is because we know it's going to be accessible to a secure environment for different purposes by different actors, but of course there's always an inherent risk for re-identification. So what we said is if you, even if you just try to re-identify a person out of the data set, you are going to be sentenced with up to one year in prison. So it's not only a financial section like the one foreseen in GDPR, but we also have the risk of putting someone in jail just for trying to re-identify someone out of the data set. I think those are actually the methods we need to ensure that we are taking it seriously. And how exactly is that going to be monitored? Because <laughs> just having audit logs in IT systems is one thing. Getting information from that data is another. 
Definitely. I think logging who has access data is going to be crucial. I think we need to ensure that data protection authorities are well-funded and have the capacities in place to make sure that actually we have a controlling infrastructure. One example, which we know from the Scandinavian countries, where if one doctor accesses the wrong data set and doesn't have a reason to do it, there have been cases already where doctors were actually lost a license to practice. So I think these are actually the, the kinds of sharp swords we need to ensure that there is compliance in the end. But I think it's going to be a balance we have to strike. The more access we want to provide, the more we have to be stricter on the controlling side to ensure that the sanctions are also there. You mentioned earlier that on the European level, we already have value-based systems. We are relatively aligned in that sense, despite the fact that healthcare systems differ a lot. But I still wanted to ask you about the European health data space and how it will work in practice. The idea is that the European health data space would be live in 2025 and enable cross-border patient data exchange. And as we mentioned earlier, just this whole pool of patient data from across Europe that would be available for research. And this was one of the topics that was also discussed on a recent EIT Health Germany, Switzerland and EIT Health Spain joint symposium in November. What did you see that were the key topics that were opened up there in terms of the European health data space? The meeting last week in Mannheim, the key question was really putting the patient at the center. So we had very good discussions also with patient representatives from Spain, but also from Germany, um, which demonstrated how relevant it is that the patient or the citizens themselves have access to their data and that we actually ensure that we have an infrastructure which allows that data to be used on national or even on European level for research purposes. And that use should actually be on a de-identified level. To the maximum extent possible, it should be also towards the patient to decide who gets access to that data. So there might be a decision, and that's something which we need to we still need to discuss in, con in council and in the parliament, if there is a, a need for an opt-out. If you see the discussion we're seeing in Germany right now when it comes to electronic health records, we are talking mainly, now we're discussing the digital health strategy, which we are discussing, that we are that we're working towards a four-step opt-out electronic health record. It means... You can opt out to use a health record, electronic one. You can opt out to have your data filled into the health record. You can opt out to have specific healthcare professionals access the data in there. And you can opt out for using the data in the electronic health record for research purposes. In the end, putting the patient at the helm and providing them a health data cockpit might actually be a way forward to give the maximum control over their own data. Because that's one of the key aspects I see in the European health data space. A lot of the debate we are seeing at the moment still goes about the details in the regulation, which to a certain way still needs some polishing. So we see that if, if quite a few articles are a bit overambitious, are not really realistic, the timelines still need to be adapted. So I think we will still need the next year to debate in Brussels and find the right compromises to have a working European health data space. I think the current draft is a very good first step for debate, but it will take some negotiations in council and in parliament. And 
I hope that as soon as possible, we get a consensus there and can start working on the nits and bits and build the infrastructure for it. Talking about discussions and getting to consensus, I thought it was telling that Europe is diverse. It's a lot of countries, a lot of cultures, a lot of languages. And that means also a lot of different opinions, perhaps around the sharing of the data that's based on a specific country. And what I mean with that is that this could potentially hinder efforts when it comes to accepting a common agreement. How do you see the challenge of actually getting a European-wide policy that everybody would agree to? It would definitely be very desirable from the industry perspective because if we look at digital therapeutics, for example, one of the large challenges that innovators have now is that they by entering each specific country, they need to go to a, a different regulatory organ and potentially design a new clinical trial and do a new clinical trial to prove that solution works for that market. And that's very difficult, but it also means that for smaller markets, they just never will do that. And that means that we're going to have different access to solutions based on where you live. So to which extent do you see that we could... Um, accept a broader idea and consensus around the use of data and AI and all the other solutions that have the potential benefit to for patients? I think there, there is a, <clears throat> a high willingness among the member states to go down that road. That's the first thing. Maybe bring you back two years to the German presidency in 2020. At that time, it was still very much challenged if we would be able to even discuss secondary use of health data on European level. What we came up during the presidency was we made an analysis with the commission to look at the different regulatory environments. And as a matter of fact, as we all know, that healthcare is member state competence and data use for a large extent has also been governed on national level. In some member states like Germany, even on state level, we saw that there was a plethora of different routes out there. And not even within the member states, we often had the same and clear access routes for health data. So we saw that there is a need to define a way to accessing data. And I think the solution now proposed by the commission, which actually is not really only providing a legal basis for access to secondary health data use, which I think is very valuable and extremely helpful, especially for Germany, but also to offering a governance infrastructure on how the data is being accessed without transferring the data from one member state to the other. The big advantage we see here is the data remains in its regulatory framework. So if the rules in France are different to the ones in Germany, I can send my algorithm or my request to a French data set and I get the results from there based on their law. So we don't really need to harmonize all laws but we need to have a common infrastructure and common rules for accessing the data in different levels. I think that's going to be one way around all these different regulatory problems we see at the moment. So having the requests being sent to the data, not the data across borders, will be one solution addressed by the European health data space. In addition to that, um, we have the AI Act, we have the medical devices regulation, we have pharmaceutical regulations. So in the healthcare sector, we are already used to having European regulation when it comes to the internal market. And I see that there is going to be developments towards that direction. Of course, when it comes to reimbursement and health technology assessment and other 
technicalities of the healthcare systems, I believe they will still remain within the member state competence and we will have to find, find ways around. And in the end, it's going to be finding solutions of getting market access, and that's going to be relevant on European level. So market access will, I think, be, we can solve that on European level. But when it comes to reimbursement, I think that's going to be a question for member state competence. And I think that's, that will still remain a challenge until we have one, one suggestion on the table, which is our DIGA regulation with a couple of other member states are already adapting to their needs. So I think that might be something where we could actually even see a member state-driven European approach. It sounds so easy when you say that we just need a common infrastructure. It's like saying we just need to choose a health data standard and we're going to be fine. But there's so many of them and there's many good ones. I don't know. Any comments on how can we achieve some unity or just easier exchange? I never said it's going to be easy, but I'm definitely saying it's worth the trial. And it's definitely worth going that direction. I'm totally in line with you that just looking at how different, difficult interoperability have been in the last years, even on national level, how difficult it is to get global standards to be used on local level. This, the European health data space will not be up and running 2025. That's not going to happen. What's going to happen is that we know where we want to go to. And we have different member states going at different paces toward that common direction. And I think that is already a big step forward to all what we had before. And we will have a European regulation which will lead the way. And I think that's also something which we have to see in a positive note. And of course, we can criticize a lot in that regulation. A lot of issues, if I just look at the list of different health data categories to be addressed there for secondary use, at first sight, I would say this is impossible. But then let's see what we have, which electronic data do we have in which member state? And if we make that accessible, and then we go step by step from there. And I think that's going to be the way forward. So we shouldn't expect to have everything up and running 2025, but it's worth starting the debate, starting the, the infrastructure, and bits by bit get there. And the European Union, when I just look at public transport in European Union or the train transport, where now we have a huge, nice network of trains running throughout the European Union. It didn't start that way. It took 50 years. I'm not saying that we should take 50 years for the European health data space. It will go faster now because we're working in parallel. But I think we have to take the time and establish it bit by bit. Because if we take it the German way and try to have everything perfect from the outset, we will never reach it. So I think we definitely need to start working and start walking that direction. On the positive note, if you want to be a little bit less critical, I guess, it, it's fair to say that the idea about the cross-border exchange of data in Europe is not new. Over 10 years ago, there was the EPSOS project, which basically was a pilot project for the cross-border exchange of data and knowledge and findings came from that project. Also, some countries are already exchanging patient summaries and enable 
example, that e-prescription is filled out in the country outside of the residents living city. And I will add the link to the list of that countries and what they can exchange in the show notes just for anyone that's interested in that. Yeah, we can't expect everything at once. And yeah, countries will not develop at the same pace. But speaking of development, we can maybe go to Germany. Germany caused quite a lot of stir and got quite a lot of attention a few years back when you started with the DIGA process for digital therapeutics and the reimbursement for digital solutions that have a proven clinical impact on the treatment outcomes. Where is Germany at the moment in terms of the maturity, in terms of the whole digitalization process in your assessment? I wouldn't say that Germany is on the forefront. We are far from there. I think we are learning and we're trying to learn from the best. Right now, while we are talking, we have a delegation from my team in Israel to take a look at how things are being solved. In Israel, although the regulatory environment is different, but I think it's always good to have an open eye and discuss with people and see what they can learn from us with the DIGAS and what we could learn, especially when it comes to health data access from countries like Israel, from Denmark, from Finland, from the French with the Health Data Hub. So for us, it's, it is going to be also to use the European debate to actually start changes in the mindset even in Germany, because I think a lot of thinking we have when it comes to data use still comes from the 80s and 90s and is very restrictive. So I think there for us it's important to communicate and actually to show what's going on in other European countries and also what's possible within the general data protection regulation and showing that other member states, which are also GDPR compliant, found solutions which are a bit more, I would say, developed or more data use friendly than the ones we had so far in Germany. We are right now in the middle of the preparations for a, a law on secondary health data use on national level, where we are also orienting ourselves on the Scandinavian regulations, which we saw. So we are in the way we just had a digital radar looking at the degree of maturity of our hospitals. So I think we are in a way, but we are definitely far from being there. For us, it's important to really be on that route. We right now have a large public consultation process on the digital health strategy. We are looking at revamping the electronic health records in Germany to make them usable, especially for the citizens, having a more citizen-centered, as I said earlier, with a four-stage opt-out included. So I think we are far from being there yet, but we're on the way. I think something which we need to do, and something which is very dear to my heart, is to communicate better. Communicate what's going on abroad and communicate what's also going on within Germany. Because we have a few things which are actually where we could be cutting edge, but nobody knows about it. So we are probably going to be the first member state to translate, or which has translated, the Data Saves Lives campaign from the European Patient Forum into German language. We just published that two weeks ago. We're going to be officially launch launching at the end of this week together with Birgit Bauer, who has been very vocal within the European Patients Forum. We just are staffing a center for AI in public health at the Robert Koch Institute, which will have up to 100 researchers working and using AI technologies to improve public health research within a governmental entity like the Robert Koch Institute as a public health institute. That's something which I haven't seen so far. They have a great infrastructure to do cutting-edge AI-based research. So I think in that sense, we are working, but I think we could be better in 
in selling ourselves. In the, the ICVIA uh, report about benchmarking digital health systems across uh, EMEA, Germany is ranked quite high, same as Israel, uh, better than France, Austria, Netherlands, lower than Estonia, England and Sweden. You must be doing something right to, to have gotten that rank. <laughs> Let's see, we are trying our best, let's put it that way. Where do you see the biggest the challenges still are in terms of the national infrastructure for data exchange in Germany? It's not a small country, you have 1,000 1,900 hospitals. So how is that progressing? Mostly the main challenge is, as you've rightly said, the complexity of our healthcare system and also the complexity of our legal system. When it comes to the healthcare system itself, a lot is governed on state level. Then we have many competence which we gave to the self-administration, which means the social partners are very much involved in also driving change that can slow down the processes because we have a lot of negotiations. It's not that we as a government can decide easily. We go that way. So we have to always consult with the social partners. That makes it difficult. We have to consult with the medical profession, with the statutory health insurances, with the hospitals. So that makes it a bit more complex than in other regions. In addition, you probably all know that we have a state-governed data protection system. So we not only have different 16 different state data laws, we also have 16 different state hospital laws. We, in addition, have 18 different data protection authorities, which sometimes have a different interpretation of the GDPR and the law. And that also slows down the process a bit. So I think one thing we need to really do in the, in the well, I wouldn't say the future, in the very near future, is to ensure that we have a harmonization of health data law on national level. And that's something which we are going to tackle with our Gesundheitsdatennutzungsgesetz, GDNG, the health data use law, which we are hopefully going to present next year. We're in the preparations right now to really take that very difficult task to as much as possible harmonize health data use use roles in Germany. That sounds like a very complicated task and it made me wonder in which year do you think that Germany is going to join the European Health Data Space? It's 2025 is just basically two years away. Two years is nothing when it comes to infrastructure. I know that. We're going to do our best to be there and ready. That's one of the reasons why we said that our health data law on national level is already going to be drafted next year and hopefully be implemented before the EHDS is there to have Germany as much EHDS ready as possible. So partially we're really trying to implement the EHDS with that national law before the EHDS comes to the market officially. That's one of the reasons we try to be as fast as possible. Will, be, will the whole of Germany be EHDS ready? Most probably not. So I think one Entity which I could see which we could easily link on European level would be the Health Data Lab, which is a data repository of all the claims data which we collected over the last years from all persons who are in the statutory health insurance system. So it's 73 million people that data would be accessible. Um, I could also see good options to have the cancer risk registries linked to the EHDS and other entities as well as university clinics with the network of university clinics. So I think there are a few entities which could be linked as a first step, but I think having all the healthcare providers attached to it and their data directly accessible, that's not going to be possible in a short term. So I think there are so step by step. 
We mentioned earlier that a lot has already been done in terms of having a very specific idea regarding how the European health data space is supposed to look like. So a lot of questions have been answered, at least to a degree. Is there anything that you see is still the big open question in regards to this topic? Well, I think one of the biggest open questions uh, when I look at the debates are going to be the timelines. I think the timelines in the regulation are not realistic for all member states at the moment. And I think that's something which we still need to debate to have them as realistic as possible. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast because it really, really helps other listeners interested in digital health find the show as well. Stay tuned.